Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Hey, do you want to talk about trying new games? Sure. I am so polygamerous, I made the shirt. You did? Mm-hmm. Cue music. And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts who likes playing all sorts of games, Phil. And I am your other host who plays all of the games, all of the one-shot games for sure, Senda. (laughs) So tonight's topic comes to us from the forums where GM Gerrymander asked how to get players of mainstream games to play indie games. Only to be followed up minutes later by P.K. Sullivan, who asked how to get indie gamers to try mainstream games. Dun, dun, dun. Suddenly we have ourselves a show topic. So we are going to look at trying new games, both from the perspective of um, games and types of gamers. Yeah. So in general, uh, when we are getting people to try new games... Um, we are dealing with and managing people's expectations and their anxiety about the unknown. Right. Because people, people don't like change. Right. I mean, then plain and simple. It's it's not just in games, right? Like it's just in life. People don't like change. Yeah. People naturally have comfort zones for the games that they play, right? Like we tend to play games in clusters, like things that we like. We tend to, you know, we tend to play games all around that cluster. Yeah. And so when we want somebody to go outside of their comfort zone, it's going to require a little work on our part to kind of help like bring them along with us. Yes. So the focus of our discussion tonight is about helping to set and manage those expectations, right? Because we're not going to trick people into playing games, and we're not talking about overcoming groups that are like, I'll never play anything but my first edition. Like, you're never going to win those people over. Yeah, don't. What we're talking about, (laughs) we're talking about tonight is you have a group, and they are open to trying games that are kind of outside their comfort zone, but you want to make sure that you make the best experience for them uh, and do that by kind of managing their expectations of like what to expect with this type of game versus what they're normally used to. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes the most sense. So basically, <laughs> I'm going to talk about getting mainstream gamers to try indie games. That That's a thing you have done uh, on a number of occasions. It is a thing that I do. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm going to talk about getting indie gamers to try traditional games because that's a thing. Let's be honest. That's a thing where I think indie gamers have a bias where they think they've gone in the right direction. I think right? you're and right. They don't, and they don't <laughs> think like you like they don't like literally I was about to use the word. They don't think they can go back to playing traditional games. Right. But I'm going to say back as chronological because... What typically happens is that most of us come into the hobby, and I say most of us, and certainly when you're back at my age, it was only traditional games. Yeah. But most of us come into the hobby through a traditional game because D&D is a traditional game and it's, you know, the largest. Yep. Um, And then they, from traditional games, springboard over to indie games. So chronologically, you would say like going back, right? But I don't, but I want to remove the connotation that that any kind of game uh, is better than another. They're not. 
what they are is that some games are better fits for people than others. Yes. So it, it is a very personal thing, right? You may identify with a certain type of game or types of games and not with others, but that doesn't make either game more or less good. There are other ways one can critique the quality of a design of a game. That is not what we're doing tonight. Absolutely. And I do want to say one thing as a person who did springboard from traditional games to indie games and like now live there happily in my indie game palace. I think part of it is that like, if you are into traditional games, and you know that that is your happy place, then you just stay right like you, you don't have to look around. Um, sure. And if you are into indie games, like if that ends up being your happy place, then um, then you had to kind of take a leap. And so there is a certain amount of like, there's a certain amount on, on the part of indie gamers of when we I'm I'm trying to say this in the most neutral way possible, and I may be completely failing because I do feel like it's, it should be neutral terminology, right? But when we talk about indie gamers um, getting into indie games, I think we frequently talk about it as if it's an evolution from traditional games simply because it's not a starting point. And we had to go discover that that was the right kind of gaming for us. Um, right. So like it... It, it's, it becomes a journey where sometimes like if traditional gaming is the thing that does it for you and that's awesome and fine, it doesn't mean that you're not evolving in your game style and stuff, but it does mean that you you walked immediately, you know, you walked immediately into the room that already had all your stuff in it. And I had to walk into that room and I was really excited by it and was really close to what I wanted. And then I had to find the secret door. Fair enough. Now, one, one, one could hope that over time, things like um, Fiasco and some other things can be on ramps, but they'll always be smaller than traditional games. They, they just will. Yeah, you're, you're yep. going to get fewer people who find that first. So there is a back door now to the secret room, right? Like you can get in there yep. first. <laughs> okay. Anyway, good. So on that note, Wonder Twin Powers activate. <laughs> Yep, so we're going to need a few definitions of defining what makes a traditional game and what makes an indie game. Truthfully, this is like really hard um, yes. <laughs> because there's so much gray area in, in, on this. So yeah. um, we're not going to give precise definitions. Um, rather, we're going to do this with some generalities of what commonly makes up each type of these games. And then we're going to give a few examples. Immediately as I create the lists, you will all start to disagree. Too bad. Please hold all your comments on this portion of the show because I know these are imprecise terminology. We're just, we just got to get through. It. We, we got to have a starting point. Correct. Senda, yeah. tell me about traditional games. Yeah. So when we talk about traditional games or tried games for short, we're talking generally about games that have the following characteristics, right? So there is a GM or some kind of game runner and players. The narrative control resides very largely with that GM, right? There's not a lot. Almost of, exclusively. There's not shared narrative stuff that we talk about later. The rules tend to be more complex, more fiddly bits that you can mess with. Um, it has more complex character mechanics, um, like feats and abilities, etc. refer to more complex rules. Character optimization is 
is a specific activity that you take part in in playing the game. It is a specific thing that you work towards, right? Um, you can, right? Or you, you can. You absolutely can. can. You don't. You don't have to. Again, this is this is like the way the game is, you know, written and the opportunities that are in it, not necessarily how you an individual might play it. Yes. Yes. Good. It has uh, mechanics that tend to be more just pass or fail. And if we just generalize in terms of what it looks like, it's going to be a larger book that has more pages in it, right? Yeah, this is going to be your eight and a half by 11 books, your two, 300 page rule books, yeah, things like that. When we talk about, when we talk about um, you know, some of the intimidation factor of getting into RPGs and it's when people are picking up like those textbooks, we're, we're kind of talking about these books, right? Because it looks like a lot of content that you have to absorb. So mm-hmm. we are talking about things then of things like D&D. Um, we're talking about Pathfinder. We're talking about Shadowrun, like that stylish of game again. This is we're we're broadly generalizing, right? Absolutely. So, Phil, tell me, um, tell me then in comparison, what are we going to consider an indie game for tonight? Sure. So, indie games or independent games have the following characteristics. They may also have a GM and player role, but you can also find indie games that do not have a GM, where it's a distributed uh, role among all the players. Mm-hmm. Narrative control is also more distributed among the players. Mm -hmm. So um, now players have a little more say beyond what just happened to their character, but can actually narrate portions of the game or may have mechanics for actually gaining narrative control and and declaring things, things like that. Uh, The rules tend to be less complex. Indie games tend to streamline rules. They tend to uh, uh, also do that in ways by abstracting things. Um, It is not uncommon for some indie games to resolve an entire combat with a role yep depending on the game right so very very much things like that characters tend to be less mechanically complex there are less fiddly bits there is less room for character optimization usually character options are either fairly limited or fairly simple yeah the mechanics of the game are going to be more narrative so it's going to be less about certain plus modifiers and positioning and things like that. It's going to be more about what is happening in the story as you're approaching, like the, like as you're approaching the mechanics and the role. And if we're talking about form factor, indie games seem to, since the early two thousands from um, the original granddaddies, the forge press books tend to have a smaller book size. They tend to be in that six and a half by 11 format. Mm-hmm. And they just tend to be uh, lower page count and uh, just smaller size books. And when we talk about some of those games, uh, things like Dungeon World and other Powered by the Apocalypse games, Blades in the Dark and Forged in the Dark games, um, and then all the way out to things like Damn the Man, Save the Music, which is uh, has very few mechanics uh, and is actually not even a very big book. We could we could go on all night naming games in both of these categories, but as that does not accomplish our purpose, we will move forward. So all of that being said, the key thing to remember about these definitions is that in actuality, when we discuss this, we're not talking about like, you know, everything falls into either this bin or that bin. We're talking about setting up a pole on one extreme end and setting up a pole on the other extreme end. And now we have a spectrum in the middle that the games can slide along, right? So there are plenty of games that do not fall completely into one category or another, but involve elements of both. And this this is definitely a spectrum, a gradient between these two, right? So absolutely, just know, we know that, but we have to have a, a starting point to talk about. <laughs> 
So tell me about taking traditional gamers and getting them to try some indie games. Right. And 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 I get to talk about this both from like the perspective of getting people to do it and also from the perspective of having done it like myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're going to have traditional players try indie games, there's there's some stuff that you kind of got to work with and it refers to that definition um, that, we, uh, that you actually said a couple of minutes ago, right? So the first thing that is usually a, a thing for people to get used to is that shared narrative control, right? So trad players, they're not often accustomed to narrating the outcomes of their actions in the same way, right? Like um, you, depending on how they've been playing, they really may not be used to like, I rolled a 20 and then the GM says, cool, tell me what it does, right? Like you can play D&D like that, but not everyone does. It's not actually written into the rules. So it may be new to them that they have to come up with or improv even what some of that stuff looks like. So one of the ways you can help with that, um, A, you want to make a very welcoming environment. You want to make sure that they're not going to get ridiculed or mocked or anything for like not being good at it because they haven't practiced it yet, right? And be willing to offer suggestions, but don't stomp on them. Have the group even work together to give suggestions. It's not just about you, the GM, giving them suggestions, but like everybody in the group can work together, especially if everyone is new, like sharing that suggestion experience. And the key thing to remember with this is that those descriptive skills and those improv skills and the the way that we just describe what we're visualizing in our minds or like thinking ahead to visualize that as you're rolling the dice, all of that stuff is a learned skill, right? Like that's a thing that we practice and we get better at. Nobody gets like laughed at for not being, um, you know, James D'Amato out of the gate, right? Because <laughs> it's something that we have to learn and practice as humans. Um, I will just say um, briefly, I uh, I ran Swords Without Master this last Sunday morning, and I had a gentleman at my table who had never played anything but like Adventurers League. And it was it was a little bit of a shift for him. A li- it was a lot of a shift for him, right? So like, this is the stuff that we were doing as a table to kind of help him out, but to also make sure that he was um, kind of had the opportunities to do it and try it and see if he liked it and, and kind of, you know, feel his way into having those descriptive moments that he was not accustomed to. Anyway, it was really cool. So the next thing is that um, indie games tend to have simpler characters. And this one is very much about expectation management, right? So indie characters are going to have less fiddly bits than a more trad um, game character. So a player who takes joy from um, optimizing and picking and choosing all of the distinct um, facets of a character in a more complicated system is going to be like, where's all the stuff that I get to pick? Like there's a pick list here with five things on it. That's it. I was expecting 50, you know? Um, so this is this is one of those times when it's about expectation management, where you're just letting people know as you go into that game, like, hey, so these characters on paper are going to be a lot more simplistic, and all of that flavor stuff that you've previously done by being really picky about your mechanics is the kind of stuff you get to involve through that narration instead of necessarily on the page. Um, in most games, I would say, right? Cool. So then uh, the the last thing that we're going to point out for tonight is uh, having narrative-based mechanics, which ties right back into that 
you know, customizing through narration more than by the pick list items on the page, right? So the thing about this is that it, it's a shift from that tactical based thinking, where I'm thinking about, you know, how am I going to flank this monster to narrative positioning, which is describing instead the thing that you're doing to help drive things to a resolve. So instead of mechanically engaging my tactical thinking skills, I'm mechanically engaging my descriptive skills to say why this is better than it could be, right? So this is, again, a time where you're working with your players to get them used to describing what happens and before they necessarily pick up dice because their description is going to affect the thing that they're trying to do. Because if they just say, I swing my sword at him, that's different than saying, um, I come running at them with my teeth gritted and the sword held in front of me in both hands at full speed, right? Like that's that's a different narrative position to be in than like I swing my sword. So that affects me as a GM, how I'm going to A, ask them for a role and what might affect that role and B, how we're gonna describe the outcome of that action, right? So there's definitely some adjustment there. And it, it's very similar to the first one where, again, they have the gift of narrative control and you have to help them and be gentle with them and help them learn how to exercise that and engage in that the same way that they used to engage in mechanics. Does that, how do you feel about all of the things that I just said? Because that was lots. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I'm very much, uh, I'm very much in agreement. I think all your points were excellent, and um, absolutely the things that you kind of have to get a traditional gamer kind of on board with. And it does; it takes a little bit of work. Again, because most people are going from traditional into indie, uh, some of these are things that they're not used to. Right, and I think um, uh, just to to sum up one more time and tie it back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, one of the really important things to remember in introducing um, traditional gamers into indie games is to remember that it is different and there are different skills involved and to make sure that you are creating an environment where they are comfortable engaging with those new skills and that they have um, support to do that and that they're not feeling like they're just going to get laughed at or something, right? Like yeah, absolutely. having a safe table for it is also a huge part of making this work um, before you even get to the rest of this. Cool. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add to that? Or do you want to tell us about um, getting indie gamers to try trad games? Tell me, how would you get me to try a traditional game at this point? I want to know. Right. All right. So when uh, we are taking indie gamers and having them try traditional games, there are like a few things that we have to consider that are actually almost the polar opposites of um, what you talked about. So the first one is the loss of narrative control. Right. Yeah. Narrative control resides mostly with the GM. Players have to get used to that the dice are going to handle most of what's going on, and you're going to ask the GM for things, as opposed to you know being able to uh, spend a point and declare a thing or whatever. And you're going to have to kind of turn your narrative skills because you're definitely going to feel it. So if you want to exercise some narrative options, uh, it'll be centered around your character. Yeah. So you can talk more about like, you know, the way your character moves and your attitude and stuff like that. But know that in many games, that's not actually going to have a mechanical outcome, right? You'll still just like roll your D20 yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's just a little expectation management, right? We just have to get uh, players used to like doing that again. Uh, the next one is character options galore, right? <laughs> um, for an indie gamer... 
who can make, you know, their character either in a single playbook or, you know, on an index card or whatever, a traditional character sheet can actually be pretty daunting, right? Like a lot of us who are um, pretty established indie gamers, like took a look at the Pathfinder 2.0 character sheet and we're oh like, my oh my God, <laughs> right? Like to a Pathfinder player, that, that sheet looks perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, but for us indie folk, right, that's uh, that's utterly... It's it's overwhelming. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. Yeah. So, get ready for character option character options galore. Now, what I will say is this is a thing that you can this is a thing you can manage by reducing choices. So, if I was going to GM for you and we were going to play, oh, I don't know, Forbidden Lands or something, um, I might just uh, give you a pregen. Right. right. I may have just taken some of that work on to me and been like, cool, here's like an elven rogue because you love elven rogues. Mm-hmm. So um, here, uh, I already made up your character for you. Now, I will say this Forbidden Lance doesn't have a ton of options. Um, but like, for instance, if we were going to play Pathfinder, like maybe what I would do is go into the program, right? Whip up that character and hand it to you. Um, the other thing we can do to kind of um, keep that analysis paralysis down uh, is limit splat books, yeah. right? So don't, you know, don't run a game for your uh, indie friends. Don't run your traditional game for your indie friends uh, and use like six splat books, yes. right? Even if you made pregens, don't do that, yes. right? Like it's too much. Make the characters from the core book. Keep it tight, right? Just nice and tight. Uh, l- lastly. Say goodbye to your narrative mechanics. Get ready to go back to pass-fail, right? So pass-fail and tactical. In traditional games, roll and dice is king, right? So um, describing stuff is nice, but how well you actually uh, accomplish things is going to fall back to the dice. Yeah. And... um, and it takes a little getting used to. Now, again, we have somewhat of advantage since most people have come through this route that it's really just going back and remembering what it's like. Right. But uh, in a lot of traditional games, your narrative choices aren't going to matter as much as your tactical choices. So where your person is on the on the grid on the table is going to be more important than your description of what they're doing in that square. Yes. Um. And there's just rules and modifiers and things like that. And as a GM, uh, the the my best advice is is to provide cheat sheets. Yeah. So give players cheat sheets of like, hey, here are combat modifiers, uh, etc. One of my favorite set of cheat sheets, and I don't know if it persists into the new version, but and I don't even remember if it was made by a pinnacle or if it was made by the community, but there was a Savage Worlds cheat sheet that part of the cheat sheet was for combat and it would say things like, are you having trouble hitting this person or hitting your target, damaging your target? Um, It it had like a couple choices, but then it would tell you like, if you're having trouble hitting your target, do the following things like aim or get a height advantage. Like it would tell you like what the, like you would tell it your problem and it would tell you the mechanical solutions to your problem. Like, oh, you're not doing enough damage. Consider a wild attack, right? And like, and then it would refer, like it would give you the rules for that. So those kinds of things are immensely helpful for indie gamers because again, combat's a really uh combat and in, in indie games are often super abstract. 
requiring just like a handful of rolls at best. Um, a full on um, high level Pathfinder combat is going to be overwhelming for a lot of us. So uh, having those cheat sheets that kind of help you piece like here's what I would do in my head as I'm thinking of the story. How do I do that? Uh, in the game. Yeah, what you're doing is you're actually helping them with the system mastery, right? Which yeah. they have probably not invested the time in yet since they're just trying it. Yeah, and that's probably another good part is that system mastery is going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Right? Like, like I can learn a Powered by the Apocalypse game in a week. Yeah, no problem. Because... <laughs> Because I know how to run a Powered by Apocalypse game, and then I just have to read the specific game and kind of figure out, like, oh, this is the parts that are different. Right. And right? And then, are, boom, I'm up and running. These are the loops that make it tick. Right. But I can't just pick up, like, a copy of Shadowrun and, be run and like, in a week be running out of the gate. No. Like, so system mastery is um, a lot harder, and so anything you can do to help facilitate that is going to be uh, helpful. Yeah. Okay. So those, those are my tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So as we were talking about, this is a spectrum. So if you are dealing with adventurous players who are excited to try something new, you can grab any game and, and have at it, right? And you can set those ex expectations and you can, um, you know, walk them into it and they know that they're getting something new and they're excited to try it. So like, oh, cool. Okay. But yeah, um, we're going on the assumption that Jerry and PK asked their questions for groups that were more hesitant to try other types of games, right? Where they're they're a little nervous about moving out of that comfort zone. Right, which I, which I totally get because like I am, right? So so tossing these kinds of players into either extreme, <laughs> right? Like if you take a person who's only played Pathfinder and you toss them into Swords Without Master, um, which is what happened to me this last weekend, which is why it was an interesting experience. Or like if you take me and you toss me into the hero system, like sink or swim, like it's probably not going to be maybe the best experience or, or it may not work, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what you want to what you really want is to find games that are kind of in the middle of our trad indie spectrum. Yeah, we have a few suggestions. Yeah. So my suggestion for your indie player that's going to go uh, play a traditional game, my suggestion is go play Numenera. Yeah. Right. Numenera is actually a pretty uh, trad style game. It's uh, big. It's a big fat book. Uh, it's got lots of character options. Um, but then it's got like a bunch of like indie stuff thrown in there. Like there's a little bit of narrative positioning because you kind of have to describe what you're doing in order to like get your difficulty down. And there's GM intrusions. And I think now the new version there's, there's player intrusions. Like, so it's a trad game, big eight and a half by 11, big, thick 300 page book that has like those little bits of indie things in there. So if I'm taking my indie group and having them try something traditional, that I think is uh, not as much of a shock, right? Because they'll they'll grasp onto the indie parts of it, and the traditional parts will just kind of like work their way in. Yeah, and and that that would work for me going in that direction. So, um, mm -hmm. and then my recommendation for getting more traditional players to play an indie game or an indie-ish middle of the road game, right, would be Fate Core, right? Because that game is um, it's it's an indie game, right? It uses narrative positioning really strongly, but it has some more traditional feeling mechanics, um, especially around like when you hit combat or like the fact that it does just it uses skill checks in a reasonably traditional way, even though the dice look funny to somebody who's used to D20s. Sure, right? absolutely. But um, but 
It'll certainly feel indie. It'll right? feel like, really like, indie, <laughs> but like it, it definitely has a lot of, a lot of pieces of it are actually pretty traditional when you're sticking with fake core. Yeah, but absolutely. but it will train you that your narration matters. Yes, which is which great, is right? fantastic. Yeah. Um, so those are our suggestions about getting different gamers to step outside of their comfort zones and try new games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before we close out the show, Send is going to tell us about another awesome show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Yeah. On the Gnomecast, several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. Except for Phil, who has done some sort of dark ritual and sacrificed a bunch of the older gnomes, which is why they're no longer here, so that he cannot get tossed in the stew. So it's just us younger gnomes who are screwed. Bracelet of uh, stew immunity. Prism of stew immunity plus three. Yeah. Vor- Vorpal stew immunity. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Say, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pandas Talk Games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums where we are continuing to run a contest where you could win cool dice bags, handmade dice bags. Or you can send us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? You uh, can send us topics. We love doing the show, uh, talking about the topics that you find uh, to be interesting and important. Uh, It means a lot to us. Um, We would sit around and talk about Ditch Lily trivia all day if it was left (laughs) up to us. Uh, But instead, we like to talk about uh, GMing stuff that you find interesting. So please leave us topics. Um, Like I said, this one was actually two separate questions thrown together. I will I will get a show out of almost anything at this point. So just post your topics wherever uh, you are comfortable, right? Tweet them, post them in the forums, email us, whatever. It's cool. Get them to us. We'll make shows. Yep. Like magic. If, yes. If, and talking about magic, if you like what we do mm-hmm. here um, or elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, uh, you can support our Patreon campaign. You can go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons of the show get all sorts of things. They get access to our Slack Room for Life. They get the bonus outtakes from this show. They get the after show from Misdirected Mark. They get uh, all sorts of weird stuff, depending on what we're working on, what we're doing. You can hook up with our Minecraft server. We tend to to, uh, recruit from our Slack community uh, and patrons for playtesting for uh, encoded design stuff. Occasionally, when encoded designs um, publishes something, like our backers get it first. It's true. Usually, usually a day or two before the rest of the world. Like we just love them to pieces. So uh, we like to do those things. We also like to do shout outs to our backers. You want to do uh, our three shout outs for tonight? Absolutely. Jared Rasher, the scribe of MMP and also the review gnome. He's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks, Jared. Uh, J. David Chrisman. Thank you so much, J. David Chrisman. Uh, and Joseph Peralta. Thank you so much, Joseph. Indeed, indeed. There is one more thing you can do that um, makes us oh so happy, like pandas with way too much bamboo. It's a thing that if you are already supporting the Patreon campaign or unable to, 
It is totally fine. It is independent of that. And it involves um, the Big Apple, not New York City, but the other one, the one that's taking over the world. Senda, what is that thing that people can do? Your introductions to this part keep getting longer and longer. I don't know if you've noticed. Anyway. You know, I'm just <laughs> You can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. But if you leave it somewhere that is not the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, please let me know because I want to read it. And it's really hard to find them scattered across the internet and trying to load the pages that Apple Podcasts doesn't want me to see because they are not associated with my Apple ID. Anyway, we super duper love them. They give us all sorts of happy, warm, glowy panda bamboo feels. And at the same time, they help other people find the show, which is super duper great. Anyway, super duper great. It is super duper duper great. Yes, indeed. Say Senda, show me how you're going to get your game group to try a traditional game. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Waveforms. Oh my, that waveform has a very particular look to it. Your waveform. Oh, are you doing naughty things with your waveforms? <laughs> it. it it had a very specific <laughs> I like you 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 <laughs> it had a very specific look that hum i you know what you know what i'm not going to say I, word when you get this you put up the waveform <laughs> and see what you see i mean i'm going to see it when i edit it but i like that like the shape of your waveform basically made you blush uh-huh it totally did <laughs> I, I Well, I thought for a second of what I could say, and then I decided I wouldn't. What'll be funnier is when you go look at it during editing. <laughs> That's a special treat for you. I don't even know if I could make the sounds again that produce that shape, but... Probably not. It's really hard unless you can like actively see it. It was, millisecond by millisecond it was really loud, it. then mm-hmm. quiet... Then it was a bit louder, and then it got um, like gradually softer. Mm-hmm. So, just yeah. <laughs> yeah I um, I started playing uh, Dream Daddy. I know, I know. It's adorable. I started playing Dream Daddy. And you're going on a. Date I went on two dates. With which one? Which ones did you go on dates? I with? went on. Uh, I went on a date. Um, I went to a concert with Matt, the barista, who I think is totally hot. Um, uh-huh. He's the one I'm kind of angling for. Like that's the that's the date I want. Like really to work out. Um, yeah. Matt's really cool, and he's also a bit awkward and shy. So I kind of dig Matt. That's fun. Um, and yeah. and then Craig was my. Um, old college roommate who was like this party animal but i hadn't yeah. seen him in a while and i ran into him on the street and craig's like all cleaned up and uh has three kids and he coaches softball um and you know he's a single dad um so and he's like super fit now and stuff like that so i um i went out on a date with him um we went to his daughter's softball game where he was coaching and then, uh, and then to the pizza place where the um, softball moms were hitting on him, which I got a little annoyed about. 
Uh, but then we stole away and we went to um, back to the softball field and threw a uh, ball around while catching up. And I got hit in the head and he kissed me on the, on the head. Aww, so super cute. So yeah, that was, uh, I think that was, uh, I think that was a good date. The one with Matt, I didn't get a kiss out of like, well, that's anyway. That's not what we were going to talk about at all. No, it's and fine. We're almost five minutes. But in. you have to like you get to make like you get to make your dad like what your what your character looks like. So like yeah. So okay, that's amazing. I, I'll have to. I gotta like send a picture or something because I gave him like I gave him the yeah. I gave him the. You gotta uh, send me a picture of your dad that you made. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's good. I I like him. He's um he's got he's a little awkward he's kind of a dork uh he's got an 18 year old daughter who's on her way to college um is he adorkable oh he's he's pretty adorkable i think anyway that that game's uh that game's fun i mean you you wind up reading a lot of text before you do anything but um well it's a dating sim so yeah you just read a lot and then you pick a line and then you read a bunch yeah but there are like little mini games in it like the one with matt there was like Mm. a little mini game where i had to like um I had to like dodge people and try to get back to Matt. Um, oh, that's when you got lost in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, that's when I got lost. But in you the... didn't do a super good job, so I that's got why you got pretty far, the... actually. But I eventually like it caught up to me. Like the the crowd rushing forward got me. Um, but the one with um the one with Craig didn't have any mini game. I just I you know we just we had a nice talk and then I got hit in the head with a ball. Okay, it's getting really good. We're not going anyway, We're not going to talk about we, the other things I had listed on the pre-show no, things no, no, because no, 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 um, no. that was awesome unto itself. We got plenty of things. Are you can't ready? Play, can't can't plan the pre-show. Pshaw. Can't the pre-show defies can't, planning. Can't plan the pre-show. It's like it's uh, um, Veruca Salt. Uh, like yes. Like we. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. So anyway, meow. 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 Bloop. Do. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. Bloop. Wow. And when we start talking about <laughs> getting into backdoors, it must be time to end the show. <laughs> hey, we didn't even talk about the topic yet. Bloop. You can find us in the misdirected Mark Google Plus community. Uh, shit. No, you can't. <sighs> What? <laughs> Did you just catch that I Rob, said that? Rob, send us trying to promote the G Plus community. I just went I went into autopilot. Rob. I'm telling Rob. <laughs> shh shh. Bloop. Uh <laughs> do, do, do I Show do I have to? <laughs> Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. What you got. Uh, uh, 43 I mean, 43 minutes. minutes. You're talking about my game group, my personal game group. We're talking about a group that, like, we took a game that was entirely scene structure, and last night we couldn't even adhere to the scene structure. Like, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't even, you guys got some, we didn't even manage compliance things. We didn't even manage to play scum and villainy. Like, um, well, you managed to play Swords Without Master. That wasn't my gaming group. Oh, well, we'll find out. I'll let you know on Thursday. (laughs) I have a feeling we might be able to do Swords Without Master. It's like just enough rules. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But now you have to say goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye. The clicky, 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 stop.